Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, I have with me Mariana Alda, who is a former film and television actress. Um, she's been on notable television shows that we've all heard about The Guiding Light, Edge of Night, Designing Women, um, Sunset Beach. And having, as she calls it, aged out of Hollywood, she's been on a journey to reinvent herself, but also reinvent the perceptions of what it means to be to age. So welcome, Marianne. I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. I want to clarify one thing. You said former film and television actress. I still act when they ask me. (laughs) Ah, okay. Excellent. You know, I, it's not that I left Hollywood, Hollywood left me. Yeah. So Marianne also has a TED talk on aging and she's also done a one woman show. And we're going to get into both of those things in a lot more detail. So you are still very busy doing the things that you do. So, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experience of aging out in Hollywood or having Hollywood leave you kind of what, what was that like? And how did you kind of know that that's what was happening? I knew what was happening when the phone started ringing less and less. Mm -hmm. I got fewer auditions. I wasn't being called in as much. And because, and this happened around my mid fifties. And because by that time I had already been in the business for 30 years, casting directors can do the math. So they knew how old I was regardless of how old I looked. And so they just stopped calling me less and less. And I knew I was in trouble when the, for the first time in 20 years, I didn't make enough money as an actor to cover my health insurance under the Screen Actors Guild, which is now mm-hmm. sag after. And I thought, oh, oh my God, this is, this is not good. And between, uh, and during an 18 month period, when I was between the ages of, 51 and 53, I lost my health insurance. My father died. My mother was diagnosed with colon cancer and I became her primary caretaker. And my husband decided he didn't want to be married anymore. So I just had everything hit me during that 18 month period. And so I was living in in California at the time and I moved back to Chicago, where I was from, to take care of my mom. And when I got her through chemo, it was about a year, I was thinking about relocating back to Chicago. And my son, who at the time was in his 20s, came to help me look for condos in downtown Chicago. And we spent a good portion of about a week looking at different places because I wanted his approval. I wanted to know what he thought. And finally, he said to me, you know what, mom, there's only two places for a star in the sky and in Hollywood. And I think you should go back. So mm-hmm. I went back and I think actors are 
just naturally curious about human behavior. And so I decided to become a hypnotherapist. Now I had been in therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think whenever I had a problem, I would go to somebody to work it out. And the thing I liked about hypnosis is that you don't have to talk about your problems because I think sometimes when you talk too much about your problems, you anchor them in and they become part of your story and you keep reliving them. But hypnosis is really, it rewires the brain so that you're still you, but it, it snaps some of the, the synapses. Like if emotionally you tend to get triggered and you're, the, the wiring goes in a certain way, you know, go click, 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 click. Everything clicks uh, in that brain connection because you've got a groove in that part of your brain for that kind of reaction. Yeah. A hypnosis will rewire that so you don't get triggered. And, and it's funny because my best friend said to me, well, I can understand why you would want to go to therapy, but Marianne, why do you want to become a therapist? And I said, you know, if I'm going to spend the money anyway, at least when I'm through, I will be able to make a living at it. So I spent a year in training at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Tarzana, California. And now you can learn how to hypnotize somebody probably in a weekend. You learn how to read somebody, you learn their, their, their cues, you can realize what they're susceptible to. But it takes, it takes a while to learn how to use it therapeutically. Right. So, uh, and for the last six months that I was in school, I'd served uh, an internship, a residency, where I had another hypnotherapist at the school monitor me as I worked with clients. And most of my clients, as it turns out, were women who were middle-aged, who were terribly depressed. Mm, and working with them, I began to realize that they had already been hypnotized by the media and by our culture and society that women lose value as we get older. And so these were women who, you know, they were in their late forties, early fifties, and they just didn't know what to do with the rest of their lives. They, They were feeling so badly about themselves. And the funny thing about hypnosis is that actors tend to be very susceptible. So as I was giving them positive suggestions about what they could do with their lives, my subconscious mind was listening. (laughs) And so I snapped myself out of my own trance because I thought, I have to live my truth. You know, if I'm telling them, you can go and you can do and you can be, you don't, it doesn't have to stop. Then I thought, and I'm not going to give up the career that I love doing, which is acting. I just have to figure out another way to do it. And my very first solo show was snap out of it. You've only been hypnotized into believing you're over the hill. And I did it at the, at the school, at the auditorium there at the hypnosis motivation Institute. And, and, so many women came up to me and told me 
how much what I was doing was needed, I thought, okay, I've got my mission in life. And my mission became to change the paradigm on women and aging. And since I had the skills as an actor and as a writer, I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I, from then on, I started doing stand-up comedy and uh, talked about getting older. And and the the one thing that I do do, or one thing I don't do, I don't do self-deprecating humor about getting older. I don't talk about bags and sags and, oh, this is gone and that. I don't talk about that. I might talk about how things have changed a little bit, but I do it in an uplifting, positive way. Because I think, you know, talking about getting older in a negative way, it's not funny to me. It's just not funny. In fact, I once did a show and I had to follow this comedian who was actually the one who booked me on the show. (laughs) He hasn't booked me since then and that's fine. (laughs) His whole routine was about, and he was probably in his late thirties, early forties. His whole routine was about the fact that he only dated old broads because they were so desperate for sex. And he said, and it's really great to date grannies because grannies always had snacks. I had to follow him. And I thought, okay, Marianne. I threw out what I was planning to open with. His name was Bill. I took, got on stage, I took the mic and I said, hello everyone, I'm Marianne Alda, AKA the old broad. And I turned to him and I said, and I'm really sorry, Billy, but I don't have snacks or snatch for you. <laughs> and everybody just cracked up. There was a, a group of young women who were sitting in the front row who were there on bachelorette party and they just howled. And, you know, he turned beet red. And I don't know if he's changed his routine. I haven't seen him since then. He's, he's apologized. But, you know, when people talk about getting older in a negative way, I call them out on it. I was once, I was, <laughs> I was getting a mammogram and the, you know, it's funny, you don't want to bring up a, a, a touchy subject when somebody is smashing your boobs in a machine, but I did <laughs> yeah. anyway. She said, well, hello there, young lady. She's looking at my chart. I think I was 71 at the time. She's looking at my chart. I'm 71 years old. She's got to be maybe in her mid thirties and she's calling me, hello, young lady. I said, you know, I'm 71 years old. I'm not a young lady. I'm a woman, a grown ass woman. And she, you know, turned. she said, oh, well, I, I, I thought I was just being, people like it when I call them young lady. And I said, when you're 12, you like to be called <laughs> yeah. young lady because, you know, you think, oh, I'm a young lady. I'm, she's recognizing that I'm a mature person at 12. I said, but it's 71. No. And yeah. I said, and for the record, honey, sweetie, or dear, those aren't so good either. And I said, you're <laughs> young enough that it, you, you probably meant well. But believe me, when you get to be my age, you're not going to like it either. So just for future reference, you might want to language how you talk to older women in a different way. You could yeah. compliment me on, on, oh, I love your shoes, I love your hair, whatever, good morning, welcome. But, you know, honey, sweet, all those little terms. Yeah. Now, yeah. whoever's listening, it may not matter to them, 
but in my crowd, nobody likes it. None of my yeah. friends like it either. Well, it's incredibly condescending, I think. It is. Right? Like, it's just really, yeah, really condescending. So, you know, after that period in your 50s, you know, where you had all of that stuff happening, you're recognizing that maybe you weren't getting, you know, the calls that you wanted, you know, your parents dealing with your parents' death and your mom's illness. Um, like, did you, did you start questioning yourself at any point? Like, did you get to this point where you were like, God, what am I going to do now? Like, where do I go from here? Or did you immediately kind of know, okay, I just got to keep this train on the tracks and keep going? Uh, well, the thing that I, I knew what I wanted to do. I'm a very spiritual person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My biggest belief is that talent is what God gives to you. Right. What you do with it is your gift back to God. Oh, I love and that. I knew that I had these gifts as a performer and as a communicator. And for me not to use them to do what I do is a big sin. You know, I just had to figure out how I was gonna, how I was gonna make money at it. <laughs> but it's worked out pretty well, actually. I started doing shows, collaborating sketch shows with other people. After the shows, we would sell t-shirts and things and stuff like that. And financially, we're doing okay. and. Then I was doing a show with three women that was received really well. One of the women dropped out. Then the other woman and I continued and we started doing a show called Moist, which is an acronym for the Multiple Orgasm Initiative for Sexual Transformation. <laughs> and we <laughs> would talk, we played sisters, we talked about getting older and it was a very naughty little sexy show. And every time we did it, we would sell out. But then my collaborating partner decided that she wanted to focus more on directing. Mm. And so I thought, well, now I did not become an actor to be, a, and I'm going to put this in quotation marks, air quotes, performer. I don't have to be on stage to pull focus and, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. I became a performer to work with other actors on stage. I'm an ensemble person. When I do TV and film, I'm a crew chick. I go in and say, good morning to the boom guy and the camera people and everybody. You know, I like that sort of sense of community. Mm -hmm. So I had to think a while to, to decide whether or not I wanted to do a solo show, but I did it and I started doing it. I was living in New York at the time. I started doing it uh, at the, there's a place in New York City called Dixon Place and they have Dixon Cabaret. And I started doing little bits and pieces of it. Then I, I did it at the Chicago Fringe Fest, the New Orleans Fringe Fest. And at that time, this title of my show was Occupy Your Vagina because I was subletting in the Wall Street area and I would come out of my apartment and there'd be people carrying all these signs, you know, occupy signs. And I thought, well, occupy your vagina. You know, it's a sense of empowerment, you know? And I said, you don't have to take it literally. I mean, you can, but it really is a metaphor for own your shit, women, own your stuff, be empowered. And so that's, that's my thing, not only for older women, but for younger women, because it starts yeah. with younger women because yeah. we are so age conscious that there are 30 year olds who are terrified of getting older. And Botox. Like I know several 30 year old, like yeah, under thirties who have started the Botox thing already. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I know it's, and it's a shame because I mean, do what you want. I color my Everybody. hair and eh, big yeah. whoop. But if you're doing it out of a sense of inadequacy, 
because you feel like you're not enough, then that's wrong. And my yeah. whole mission is about empowering women to believe that they are enough. Mm-hmm. And to, I think we as, I don't want well, to just say women, I think our culture is a little preoccupied with how we are perceived by others before we think about how we want to be perceived by others. Yes, I agree. Um, you know, I, we need to be authentic first. And it, it, it's funny because, you know, people say to me sometimes, oh, but you don't look 72. I say, this is what 72 looks like. Right. You know, this is what 72 looks like on Marianne. And I said, I was vain was I was when I was 20. I'm not going to stop being vain at 72. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I exercise, I eat right, I do all those things because, because I like being a size eight. I like the kind of clothes I can wear. I, I work out for health reasons because of, I have high blood pressure, but also because I am vain. I wear makeup. I curl my hair, I brush my, well, I don't curl my hair anymore. I just kind of wash it and pile it up on top of my head these days. That works for me. But no, I think whatever it is that makes you feel good, you should do it. But I think we should ask ourselves, who are, are we trying to feel good for ourselves or are we trying to feel good to impress somebody? Yeah. And that's like, that is, that is so true. I mean, everybody should do whatever it is they need to do to feel good. Um, And that's why a lot of like the focus of, you know, the messages that that I do as part of old chicks, no shit is around like, let's take our focus off our bodies and what we look like, because in from, for the most part, we genetics plays a role in how we age. We can't really control that. And let's now focus on what, like what we can do. Like how we're using all of that knowledge and experience and wisdom. Like what are the gifts that we're giving back to the world at this point of our lives and focusing on something positive as opposed to, you know, what it is like we all feel like we're losing something at this point in life, which, you know, we we can't control that. Like genetics says, you know, whether I'm going to get gray hair at 50 or 60 or, you know, what part of my face is going to wrinkle first. I can't control it. Yeah. You know, but we can still moisturize. <laughs> you can still moisturize. Exactly. Exactly. And stay hydrated because drinking water is good. You want the cells 100%. to be hydrated. I keep, I've started putting Pedialyte in my bottled water now to make sure that I get my electrolytes and, and stuff. And that's supposed to be really good for you. So ladies use Pedialyte in your water. Yeah. But let's see something you had, you had said, and oh gosh, I'm trying to remember now. I'm trying to back up because there was a thought that hit me and I didn't want to interrupt you. It'll come to me later. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It'll come back. (laughs) And I know I've heard you talk about this before too. You had a cancer journey in, in the middle of this story too. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how it's like, I, what I'm struck by in your story is um, like, Adversity is no is not new to you, and through every one, it appears like for every you know piece of adversity you conquer, I feel like you just gather more energy from it, and you just like you keep moving forward. And I like I love that perspective. Yeah, I do. I I have a saying: shit happens, but it doesn't have to stick, <laughs> and it doesn't have to smell real bad if you open a window real quick. Oh, I love that. You know, so when shit happens, I'm going to open a window real quick. That's the first thing I'm going to do is to open a window. (laughs) And 
ironically, my sister and I, at our regular Well Woman exam, because she went through a divorce, and which is what brought me back to my hometown of Chicago because I was living in New York at the time. And I, I came back and sort of, I said, I can give you two years, then I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> and so when I was in Chicago, I got involved with a, a group of creative young people. And I did a web series with, with my performance art character, who is of my solo show, who is adult sex ed evangelist and mojo motivator, Dr. Ginger Peachy Keen. Um, because how, how we perceive ourselves sexually as sexual beings, I think is important to women. You don't have to be having sex, but you should be able to perceive yourself as having a certain vibrancy and vitality and a sexual energy. I'm not all that familiar with the chakras, but I'm sure there's some Kalindi, Kundalini something in there somewhere along the way. <laughs> right. we get from. And so I came back to Chicago. It was time for my annual well woman exam where we would both get our, you know, our pap smear on our mammograms. She was diagnosed first with breast cancer. And two weeks later, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer. Wow. So, which was, you know, God works in mysterious ways. We were able to go through this journey together because I came back and we were, we lived together. So she had her surgery. She just had to have a lumpectomy, and, but I had to have a, a complete hysterectomy and she went through radiation first. We had our radio, I got, had my surgery at the University of Chicago med. My surgeon was, my oncology surgeon was Dr. Nita Lee. I love her. She's brilliant. She's smart. She's funny. She went to Stanford. So she's got a little bit of California woo-woo in her. You know, we speak the same language. And as a matter of fact, after my surgery was over, she enlisted me in a, a mentoring program for women who are having uterine cancer. So I've, I've counseled a lot of women mm. about their journey and what they're going through. And the thing is that some of the things that happened to us, like having a hysterectomy, somewhere along the line, some women get it in their head that not having uterus makes you less of a woman. Right. Not being, of, not being able to bear children makes you less of a woman. Right. Well, no, that's absolutely not true. It doesn't take away who you are as a person. And so I started, as soon as I finished radiation, I started doing stand-up comedy about my, my hysterectomy. And I say, you know, it's like having an internal Brazilian. <laughs> if you're gonna landscape the runway, why not declutter the terminal? Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and you know, then people laugh. And then afterwards, Women, I've had so many women come up to me wanting to hug me with tears in their eyes, telling me that I told their story. Mm. There was, I was at a theater festival, the National Black Theater Festival in 2019. I had done a comedy show the year before and this woman came up to me and she'd given a testimonial. Here it was two, ye two years later and I was doing my solo show and I was talking about having a hysterectomy. She came up to me and she said she had been diagnosed the week before, but she had seen my 
comedy shows and she knew what I liked, to, what I talked about. And she said she decided to come to the festival after all, specifically to see my show. And she said, I gave her such a boost and I made her laugh and she knew that she was going to be all right. Now, I mean, that's why I do this. <laughs> yeah. You and know, that's, it's, it's so amazing because, you know, they say laughter is the best medicine and like, I know it might sound cliche, but it really is like, there is nothing that can pull you out of a funk, um, reduce your stress levels, change your outlook on life. than having a good old belly laugh over something. Right. right? Absolutely. Totally. And it's healing. I actually, I start off my, my Ted talk with, and please people go invest 15 minutes and look at my Ted talk. You will, you will laugh yes. and you'll get a little wisdom too. We will um, make sure we put the link to the, to your Ted talk in the show notes for sure. Okay. okay good. Um, but I start off my Ted talk by saying, first of all, all of my comedy is observational humor. I don't do yuck, yuck jokes. I just think I look at things, I mean, I'm kind of like Chappelle does. I, I, I think about stuff and I think I look at the humor or the ridiculousness in a situation. And I remember I had just turned 65. And uh, when I had this realization, which I have since told over and over again, like I said, I talk about it in my TED talk. I have always been, I, went, I was raised Catholic and I have always felt, I've never been afraid of hard work because of the way I was raised. And I always thought that sometimes you need to make a sacrifice for the greater good. So I would always say, well, you know, I will, I will do this now, you know, it'll pay off in your, in the future. And, you know, I, I would always say, well, and I had this realization, I said, Marianne, you're 65. This is your future. <laughs> it's like, all of a sudden I went, you know, so I, I stopped depriving myself of things. I started looking at life a little differently. And I thought, I'm not going to deprive myself of joy today for some joy in the future because we're not I'm in my the future. future right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I, it was just a, a switch in mindset, but I think it made all the difference in the world in the choices that I make. I've learned how to say no a lot. I say no now sometimes when I would have said yes, because I would do that. Oh, let me do that for you. I would, I would. Right you know, put myself last on the food chain. And now I put myself first on the food chain. And if I can help somebody, I will. And if I can't, I'll write a check. Um, right. No, I'll, I'll do what I can, but I don't go beyond what I feel comfortable with. And sometimes yeah. I have to sit with myself and sit with the discomfort of saying no. Um, yeah. And that if you're used to saying yes all the time, saying no is uncomfortable. It is. Well, and, and as women, we have been conditioned to see our value in what we do for other people. And so, you know, when you get to, you know, older and you're like, okay, now I'm going to draw a boundary and focus on myself and having to say no, you, you're going against every bit of conditioning that you've had for your entire life. Right. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. But so right. important. So, so important for us all to do that. Oh, I'm a big believer in self-care. Yeah. I, you know, I redid the bathroom so that I've got, I got one of those, you know, beds, those little things, the pillows, you know, oh, yeah. pillows. Oh, yeah. I can see, you know, I turned the bathroom into a spa, you know, <laughs> I, 
just little things, you know, and, and smells, you know, the aromas, a bubble bath, the smell of lavender. There's sometimes I will sit and I will meditate and I will focus on myself. And this is something that I did when I, when I realized, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had a conversation with, with my body and I said, okay, what is the lesson in this? What do I need to learn for me to have this cancer in my body? And the answer that I got was to treat myself as least as well as I treated other people. Mm, again, another important yeah. lesson. <laughs> right. And I said, okay. And, you know, because cancer, we all, cancer is just a runaway cell. And it gets the message to do that, you know, and it clogs up some, because we all have cancer cells potentially, you know, cancer in cells in yes. our body all the time. And we just, we piss them out, we sweat them out, we eliminate them and they get stuck and they start replicating. And when your system is out of whack and the mind, body, spirit connection, I don't want to do that to my, to my body. Like I told you, I'm a little California woo-woo. No, um, <laughs> okay, but, um, and I call it that, and you know, what? I shouldn't even call it California woo-woo. That's something that when I came back to the Midwest, you know, and I would talk about some things, oh, you're a California woo-woo. So I'm going to take that back. You know, <laughs> I'm just creature of the universe. And I believe in God and I believe in magic. Well, and what you just say is so important because, you know, they've done all those experiments. For example, when you talk to plants you know, nicely, they flourish. And, you know, there's the one where you put the two halves of the same apple in two different jars and one you hurl insults at and the other one you talk to nicely and you see the difference. Well, our bodies are made up of those same cells. So how we talk to ourselves is so important. And God, I learned this one the hard way. Like I used to beat myself up all the time. Right. And that ended up in burnout and all kinds of things. Right. And like, I've, I am so conscious now of the words that I use to describe myself, like how I talk about myself, how I talk to myself, you know, it's, it's critical for us all. You know, and you know, the funny thing about that is sometimes when we catch ourselves talking, to, I'll speak for myself, when I talk to myself negatively and I thought, then I beat myself up for doing that. It's like I rub salt in my own wounds. Yeah. So something that I have learned now, and this is, you know, God's grace. If I said, oh, Marianne, that was a dumb thing for, for you to do. You were such a shithead. I stop. And instead of what I used to do was saying, oh, now you've criticized yourself. And oh, that's bad. I go like, well, Marianne, wasn't that interesting? And I immediately go into prayer and I say, you know what? Right now. I'm in this funky place with myself, but that doesn't mean that I can attract, will necessarily have to attract more funk in myself because I'm in this negative space because God's grace can take it all away. Yeah. Or sometimes I'll simply say, if I catch myself that, I'll be like, forgive me. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Forgive me. Right? Like, I didn't mean that. I'm taking it back. <laughs> Absolutely. I like yeah. that. I like that. Forgive me. I love you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then replace I'm gonna, it with I'm going to use that, Jennifer. Please do. Feel free. Anybody <laughs> who's listening, use it. Use it. But it's like, like you put the energy of the negative words out there, right? And then you just need to like put some positive ones on top of it so that you're not leaving the negative hanging there, right? At least that's how I view it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
That's amazing. So I am definitely, I'm encouraging everybody who is listening to us talking today to go check out Marianne's TED Talk. Like it, this, this has been, like, I love your perspective. I love the humor. Um, I got, I've written down so many one-liners out of, <laughs> out of this conversation that we've had today. So my last question for you is, so what's next? What's your big dream for the, for your third act, I guess it is now, or? Yeah, third act, maybe fourth act even? I don't know. <laughs> my third act. I'm 72. Yeah, well, you know, since we were, when my my solo show, my newest solo show is getting old as a bitch, but I'm going to wrestle that bitch to the ground. I yeah, had I done that. it at the National Black Theater Festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's a big festival. It attracts maybe 60,000 people. It's held every other year. And... I was told that I broke a box office record because they did it in the convention center. They configured the convention center into uh, theaters and I sold out. They added additional seating and I sold out again. And yes. I was told that that was the first show that ever sold out twice. They couldn't wow. add any more seats. I was walking around the festival and people were coming up to me saying, I'm, I'm, I've heard about your show. I can't get a ticket. And I go, I'm so sorry. I can't. There's nothing I could do. So and then a producer from the Billy Holiday Theater in New York City heard about the show and she brought me to New York to do it. And, and so uh, I did it at a limited run, sold out again in February of 2020 earlier mm. this year. And I was prepared to go back to Hollywood for pilot season because I thought I've got a hit show under my belt. Older women are becoming more trendy, shall we say. And so I thought I'm going to go back to LA. And then of course the pandemic happened. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, this is, what am I going to do? Well, I, I got involved with a positive aging group, tremendous group of people. And we, we, we meet once a week. I, I started becoming more involved in social media on Instagram and Facebook and, and leaving little positive memes and posts and stuff like that. Uh, oh yeah. Follow me on Instagram too, people, because okay. I'm be putting positive okay. stuff out there. Okay. We are um, going to put that in the show notes for sure too. Okay. Um, and then I thought, you know, the message is important. The message is what's important whether I'm performing it or not. So now I'm turning my solo show into a book and yes. the book will be getting old as, as a bitch, but you can wrestle that bitch to the ground. I love it. I love it. That's perfect. So I, I say it's kind of like the vagina monologues, but without this STDs, no sadness, no trauma, no dysfunction. So, <laughs> so, good. so, so but it's like a lot of the stories, a lot of which are auto, semi-autobiographical. Some of the names have been changed to protect some of the innocent. But <laughs> I talk about things like getting cancer. I talk about things like, and, and it, it's not just about being older. It's about a woman's journey and how we set ourselves up for how we're going to be when we're older, when we're young. Yeah. It's the messages that we get when we're young as women. Uh, so I, I, I sort of, it's like a woman's journey. And yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't have anything. I can't perform it, but I'm going to write it. And this way, more women will get a chance to, you know, who couldn't get an opportunity to see the show can get yeah. the book. And I've already had kind of like 
like a focus group because again, you know, it's not about me. I feel blessed that God has given me these, these talents and abilities. So I feel like I'm channeling a message that needs to be dispersed. And so I thought, well, then write it, Marianne, so more people can get the message because I know how women are affected because they've come up to me after the show and, and they've told me. And, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I just want to be part of the positive change in the world. You know, it's like I when I leave this planet, I want to know that I I made a contribution. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's amazing. What, when is the book going to come out? Like, have you uh, have you do you have a, a date yet? Because I will absolutely I, have to have you back on this podcast once the book comes out. I can't wait to read it. Well, well it's I, I got Nora Ephron's. I, you know, I feel bad about my neck <laughs> and that book is 40,000 words. So I figured I need probably 45,000 words. It'll be a little book, like 140 pages. And I'm up to, I'm about half written now. It's okay, about cool. half written now uh, from the show. And I'm throwing in a bunch of other little Dr. Ginger wisdom. So it's really, the book isn't being written by Marianne. It's written by Dr. Ginger as told to Marianne. Amazing. Because Dr. Ginger it. is so much smarter than I am. She knows I, everything. I love it. Okay, well, we will definitely be back more to talk about this book when it comes out. But in the meantime, where can people find you on Instagram? They can find me on Instagram at Marianne Alda, the saging optimist. Saging optimist. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll make sure that that goes in the show notes along with the link um, to your TED Talk. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with me today. Um, that was, uh, like I said, I got so many one-liners <laughs> out of that one. I love your perspective. Um, I love the work that you were doing. We are, we are kindred spirits in that, um, in that realm. And uh, I definitely, like when you go back to your one-woman show, I am most definitely coming to see it. Like that would be. I hilarious. will bring it to Canada. I'll bring it to you. <laughs> please, please bring it to me. Okay, we got to talk more about that. So well, I've already been talking with some women in Australia about possibly going there. Okay. Yes. Let's make it lovely. happen. <laughs> once we can travel again, once yeah. we get a vaccine. Yeah. Next year. Next year. <laughs> okay. So thank you. Thank you. Um, everybody go check out Mary Ann's TED Talk and as well as find her on Instagram at Mary Ann the Saging Optimist. And um, yeah, all of this will be in the show notes. So feel free to go there. So thank you, Mary Ann. Okay. And can I just say before, yes. before we go, you are fabulous. I love old chicks. No shit. You know, I think I was one of the first people to come on and start following you because this was a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, when I first started, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you were actually. <laughs> I've been following your journey and, you know, my props to you and I love the message that you're putting out in the world as well. So yes, indeed, we are kindred spirits and it's about time we met. Yes, I know. And maybe our books will be side by side on the bookshelf one day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.